This is a sports business podcast. Today we have Chris Jensen. Welcome to the Sports to Business podcast hosted by Momentum Elite. I chat with professional athletes turned executives on leveraging the principles from sports to winning in business. On this episode, I chat with Chris Jensen. Chris is a master high-performance coach, facilitator, and a keynote speaker in taking achievers to the next level. For more than two decades, Chris has been passionately teaching, training, and coaching the modern skills for success and fulfillment. He brings a profound understanding of what drives human performance and sustainable behavior change, combining insights from the fields of leadership, sport, and modern science. As founder and principal coach of the Ignition Company and his group of brands, Chris has traveled over 1 million kilometers to facilitate workshops and events in more than 30 countries across the Americas, Europe, Asia, Middle East, and Australia. He has been a highly regarded advisor and performance coach for some of the world's top performing companies, including Apple, eBay, and Vodafone. In this episode, we discuss the proven principles that separate peak performance athletes from others. We also walk through the number one thing that people need to perform at their best is a manager or a leader that cares about them at an individual level over any other tips, tricks, or strategies. And we uncover a startling fact why most business teams are spending 90% of their time only 30% effectively. We also walk through Chris's personal mantra, leading a team but managing individuals And when should you take the shot as a leader and when to let the team take the shot? Please follow Chris on LinkedIn and visit his website at theignitioncompany.co. And if this episode resonates with you, please remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend and leave a review on the podcast platform wherever you stream your audio from. All right, folks, let's jump in with the one and only Chris Jensen. Welcome, everyone, to Momentum Sports Business Podcast. Today, we have Chris Jensen. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Denver. Happy to be here. Chris, you are a high-performance coach, a facilitator, a trainer. You are, you are a strong corporate executive. You work overseas in London. You're a founder of a Ignition company. You're an athlete. And the best part is you were a Vanier Cup champion who played with my head coach, who coached me at McMaster. What a small world. Welcome to the show again. Yeah, no, it's great to, great to connect. It is a small world and um, really, yeah, really happy to share some of my lessons and hopefully can serve someone along the way. I'm sure our viewers and listeners will love to hear everything you have to say today. Um, to kick it off, Chris, what are you doing today? What's keeping you busy? Well, uh, two things keep me really busy. One is running my own company along with my wife. We're business partners and we have a training and uh, training and coaching company where a lot of our focus is working specifically with professional men and helping them get their career mojo back. Um, So all things in growing a business is, uh, is uh, keeping me busy. And the second thing that's keeping me busy is our two-year-old son, uh, who is a a bundle of energy and character, um, but is a good way to balance some of the the drive and focus of work and to get out to the backyard and swing the baseball bat is awesome. Which, uh, which one is harder? (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you have a, well, yeah, when well, you have a little bit more control over, um, I think they both have the same challenge, uh, both yeah. have their own challenges, but I don't know, maybe growing a business might be harder than being They're a harder, dad. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that good one. news for me. So, you yeah. know, <laughs> um, 
How, how has the business been? How have you been growing the business? Um, how has the transition been in the past few years with the pandemic? Well, I guess a few things, you know, the pandemic, thankfully, is we're in a place where by and large, the pandemic didn't impact us at all. Our business previously, a bit of the backstory is I've been doing this kind of work for about 15 years following a you know, successful career in marketing. Um, but um, uh, we really, I was been doing this work a lot of that time over the last decade was being a, a had their own business, but it was a contracting for other companies. And it was really about five years ago where we kind of went all in on establishing our company and our brand and our methodologies wow. and whatnot. Um, and I was still doing a lot of international travel, but with getting married, with getting home, with having kids, I wanted to be on the ground more. So it was really by coincidence, two months before COVID hit, I uh, made the decision to sever ties with other companies that was doing my, the clients that were requiring me to, to travel internationally and went, moved to a more online model. And so the timing couldn't have been better that way, um, where we do all, all our marketing, we deliver our programs online, I'm on Zoom all the time, like most people, most business people. These so days. you were doing that before it even it was even required because of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that was, that was a strategic decision. You know, the way I kind of looked at it was, you know, previous to that, I was doing a lot of work in corporations, live yep. coaching, uh, leadership development programs. And um, if I got real and I really let, you know, did the leapfrog forward 15 years, I knew that I wasn't, I wasn't going to be building a sustainable business by having an old model of business development. You know, business development is the lifeline of, of business. And so by pounding the pavement and and you know working my contacts and understanding who in the industry is around, all, you're always kind of chasing the next lead. Yep. And um, and I knew that for our business to really achieve the impact that we wanted to have and us to achieve the success and the lifestyle that we wanted to have, we had to have an online first uh, model, and we needed to have a you know, a following, an audience, uh, a database of prospects, of customers. So that was very much a strategic decision. It's a long time coming, but it's definitely the right way. And uh, like, you know, like all business owners, uh, we're still relatively in the early, I like to think in the early days, even though we've been doing it for a couple of decades, uh, still have the youthful enthusiasm of a newbie. And uh, it's always a roller coaster. And the more you can ride that, uh, rather than get thrown around by it, uh, the more exciting it can be. That's well said. Walk me through how you developed this, this mindset. And what I mean by that, Chris, is your early years when you were playing football, how do you play, you know, get into the sports side of things? What were those years like? What did you learn during those times at Laurier? Well, I'll even back it up uh, even before then, because I think everyone who's, everyone who's a high-performing athlete in university or beyond, they started their journey much earlier. Much earlier I yep. think for me, you know, the, the key distinction or key, I don't know, light bulb moment that kind of went off for me was, um, you know, growing up in a town where I've never, a town and a school and a family and friends where I've never known anyone to achieve at a high level, to be an Olympian or a pro athlete. Never have, never have any reference points for that. You know, the, the, the my view of the world was that high level successful people are, they come from other places, not, mm -hmm. not from where I'm from. And therefore I can't do that. Right. But then the light bulb went off and I just realized, you know, that is a limiting thought that I've got. It's a limiting perspective that I have. And if I'm above average athlete at 15, 16, 17, why couldn't I be above average at 21 mm -hmm. and 25 and 30? Right. 
So really a light bulb went off and I said, you know what? I, I owe it to myself. I have a duty to myself to really pursue my potential, to see how far I can take this thing. And at the time I was playing all the traditional sports, right? Baseball, basketball, hockey, football, et cetera. And I decided, well, football seems to be the one where I might have a chance to go pro. And so I really pursued that. I kind of doubled down on that, started going to more camps, uh, studying more, <coughs> reading biographies of, of top athletes, not just in football, but beyond. And yeah. through studying those professional athletes and Olympians, in fact, I got on my bookshelf over here. I just noticed the other day, Mark Tewksbury was the very yeah. first athlete book I bought. It was in 19, uh, probably 1989, 1990, just before he, he broke through at the Barcelona Olympics or broke the world record. And um, it was still an inspiration to really understand how these elite athletes, people who are you know on the world stage achieving the world's best ever, it was eye-opening how they all talked about it. It wasn't the physical skills. It was the mindset. Wow. And very early on as a teenager, I learned that mindset. It's the, it's the, you know, when the game's on the line, it's the final two minutes, how optimism mattered, how focus mattered, how discipline and training mattered. All of those things were not physical traits. They were learnable skills that, that you can master. And if they can be learned, then I can learn them. And ever since I've been 17, I've been fascinated with mindset, peak performance psychology, sports psychology, understanding what really allows us to um, perform at our best when it matters most. And that goes for, for, for sport, for business, for life. And that's kind of been the foundation. And um, that got me on this Whoa. path that um, has you know, allowed me to succeed in university, but also then coach a lot, you know, as a mental, mental conditioning coach, coach a lot of athletes to help them perform at their best at world championships or get college scholarships or uh, perform on the world cup circuit. So it's that's, been, so that's been the foundation of it all. That's so fascinating. Chris, when, you know, I think everybody listening and watching, I'm sure they have the same question that I have. What are those traits and how can you develop those traits, whether you're in business or in sports? Well, I think that, you know, you know, I talk a lot to my clients about this, right? It's like, I'll, I'll answer your question in a bit of a roundabout yep. way. Right. Is that, you know, when a team struggles, when, a, you know, we're in springtime right now, you're mm -hmm. uh, heading to the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs are going on, right? Um, but any time of year, when a team is struggling, a sports team is struggling, they're maybe in a losing slump, or maybe it's a batter in baseball is going through a, you know, a, a rut, well, right? Yeah. A, a batting slump. That's, it's never, the coaches never start to introduce advanced strategies at that point. What do they do? They, they go back to basics. Absolutely. Right? Football, blocking, blocking and tackling. In hockey, they throw, take all the yeah. pucks off the ice and we're going to skate, right? In basketball, it's foul shot and passing, right? Um, in football, it might be going back to the film room or footwork. As I played mm -hmm. quarterback, so it's back to your football. It's like, is your release in the right point, right? It's, you got to go back to basics. And so, you know, how do you develop mindset? There's just so many fundamental, fundamentals that you can't go to the next level unless you have them. And so I think, you know, there's obviously elements of confidence, mm -hmm. of self-assurance, right? There's elements of discipline in preparation. You know, I think, you know, one of the things I'm sure is a big theme that you've had with other guests on your show and is a theme in your business is one of the things that sports, um, com competitive sports, right? Yep. Especially the highest level. It, you uh, know the way to put it, but it demands a desire for excellence. Yep. And 
anyone in any endeavor, I don't care if you're a CEO, if you're a mid-level manager, if you're an artist, if you're a farmer, if you want to create something great, you, there's a demand for excellence. So how do you develop excellence? Well, you develop it consciously. You develop through practice, you develop through greater intention, you bring the right perspective to things. And through that, you develop discipline. Discipline in whatever skill sets you need, whatever mindsets you need, yeah, some areas, whatever heart set you need, but build the di discipline. And for me, you know, there's a lot of factors of, of that, that go into discipline that we could dive deeper into, but I, I think at the core of it, it's knowing what are the key levers or levers, whatever you are in the world, right? Yep. The key things that you can pull on that are going to give you the greatest leverage in your performance and move you closer to excellence. You know, I mean, you might think of it as the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20% of things you can do to, be, to 80, get you 80% yep. of the way to the result. Um, so the discipline you have and therefore bring the focus to that and consistency is going to be a big part of that as well. And I think those are, you know, those are the, the executable um, elements of, of excellence. But then you can layer on the attitudinal things mm -hmm. of, of optimism, of confidence and, Sometimes it boils down to faith, right? What is it? Lee Trevino says, the, the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? And yep. Tom Brady would say the same thing and LeBron would say the same and thing. It, that's crazy how all these guys have been so successful say the same thing. You have to wonder, yeah. there must be some science behind it. Uh, absolutely. Right. I'll go one, one step further on guys specifically like LeBron, like Tom Brady, like Roger Federer, like Serena Williams, like the best of the best. And bloody hell, they're like five, 10 years older than they're the most of their competitors, yep. right? So what the modern truth is, is a whole other layer that's come into play in the last 15 years. It's the whole, all the principles about how do you manage recovery and how do you recharge yourself? There's yep. a whole science behind managing your energy. And that is the game changer for not only people in sport, but that's what a lot of the work that I've been doing over the last decade is traveling around the world, working with executives and teams and organizations to sustain high performance, primarily through managing their energy wow. and looking at the four dimensions of energy. And people realize that the more energy they have, the more capacity they have to perform at their best. Um, and the core, one of the cores of that is to be able to recover rather than just constantly spending energy all the time, burning out, losing the will, making poor decisions, lacking innovation, lacking key decision-making, um, and lacking the will to carry on in, in the demanding times that we're in. So isn't it, isn't it fascinating that whenever, or at least, you know, I've experienced this in my corporate life, I'm sure you've seen it a ton more where the moment something doesn't work, the moment we hit a wall, we've all been almost taught to keep going, keep pushing yes. through, but that backfires to what you're saying. That's not the yeah, right answer. Does. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, sometimes it's necessary, you know, if there's a heavy deadline, but, um, it's one thing to push through, you know, I, I, uh, I use this analogy a lot. It's like, there's a difference coming to the end of your work day or your work week or yeah. your career and you're exhausted, you're spent. And there's a big difference being exhausted and spent because you gave it your all, you left it all on the field and yeah. you came out victorious versus you just got burned out. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed out. You're, you're feeling a little hopeless. You're feeling a little helpless. You're feeling like the world is against you and you're pissed off at the world. You can still have the same level of low energy and exhaustion, but it's a very different experience. And uh, one person yeah. has managed it very well. One person hasn't.
And one of them will recover better because they understand that if they recover, they can go back and do it again. The other exactly. person's mindset is not going to allow them to recover because they're still thinking about all the negativity that came That's with right. what you were doing. Wow. That's right. So pushing through and, and pushing hard to the end, um, there is a time and a place for that. But even more so, there are more important times and places where you got to step back. You got to step back and get perspective on what's going on. And um, the only way you get pers- real, the place you get perspective is through practices, through behaviors, through habits that recharge yourself and, and step away from things, right? What is, uh, what is one habit or let's say even to your early example of building discipline, what is one thing we should be doing as you know, corporate employees or executives or even athletes that are transitioning to business? What's one thing we should be doing to practice and become stronger so that we don't fall into this trap? Yeah, I think, um, like I think Einstein said, right, if you're trying to solve, if I had one hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes on the defining the problem, and five minutes on the solution. And I think too often people think what the, um, what people perceive to be the problem is not the problem. So we spend a lot of time, energy and money on trying to solve the problem. That's not the problem wasting a lot of time. And so when you ask the question, what's the most important habit, or what's a really, you know, valuable habit to bring discipline in? First, you got to get clear on, well, where, what's lacking? Where's the gap? And, um, you know, and in simple ways, I kind of look at it as there's two ways to go down if you want to build discipline. One is the, the let's say, the, um, um, the execution of mm-hmm. discipline. So, for example, really practical. Most people in the business world today are, are not maybe a little bit, maybe, maybe not, depending on the, on the, on the environment they're in. Um, most people are, are, are meeting doubt. You know, I used to ask people in the workshops I did, I've asked this all around the world. I said, how much, what percentage of your time, your work, let's say a typical working week is spent in meetings or on emails? And largely people will say 85 to 90%, right? It's pretty, and it's pretty typical wow. just the way that we work, right? We're a digital world now. The follow-on question is, and what percentage of that time is spent effectively? By and large, the average is usually about 25 to 30. So you're wasting time. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a mic drop, mic drop yeah. moment. It's like, well, shouldn't that be alarming that 85 to 90% of your time is spent 30% effectively, right? So discipline, most people are meeting out. And one of the biggest uh, complaints people have in the, in the business world, corporate world is that there are too many meetings that run too long without an agenda, without focus and without clear takeaways. We, in the, in the culturally in business, there are, there are shining examples, but culturally in business, people lack a terrible amount of discipline in how to run an effective meeting. Mm-hmm. And so that might be one problem to look at, right? So the execution of the discipline might be, you know, you can Google this, you'll get the clear answer, right? Yep. Start the meeting with an agenda, map it out, note takers, like all this stuff that everyone knows intellectually, but no one ever does. Yep. So there's flaws in that, right? Why? Because there's mindset issues, not the behavioral issues. But there are execution issues that people, there's low-hanging fruit that you can do. But there's a second lane for discipline. And that's, it's not the discipline of the execution of the meeting. It's what's going to set you up to run an effective meeting. What's the discipline you need to do to prepare for a meeting, to plan for a meeting? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a really simple example. When I used to run a team of 18 people, uh, which is not huge for, for a lot of a lot of corporations, but I created this little habit that you know you go into Outlook or whatever software you use and you 
you invite, the first thing you do is you invite all the people and then you give it a subject line and you pick a date and a time and you go send, right? And most people will say, oh yeah, we'll accept it. Um, but people don't know really what the point of the meeting is. So I created a little habit to say, the first thing I need to do is, who do I need there? What's the title? But the first thing I do in that te text box that people don't usually fill that in is, amazing. the purpose of this meeting is, not the agenda. What's the outcome? What's the What's goal? The What's the purpose of this meeting? Beautiful. The purpose of this meeting is, and I'd sit back and I'd think, what is the purpose, Chris? <laughs> and I'll tell you, about 20 to 30% of the time, I'd be you like, wouldn't, you wouldn't make the meeting. You that person doesn't need to be there. <laughs> exactly. That person doesn't need to be there. I need to talk one-on-one -on -one with that person or I need to scrap this meeting, right? Suddenly free up 20% of my time. Um, and then I would go to what's the agenda. And then I would say, what do you need to prepare? Um, and that little discipline made my meetings way more effective, use less time and, uh, and better, clear outcomes. And people are happier too, I, I assume. That are working absolutely right? they're happier. they feel like their time is well respected exactly. they feel exactly. like they have clarity in what they need so all that to say um you got to define the problem first and then you identify what do you need do you need to execute it better or you need to prepare to execute it better so to understand the root cause before you start right. executing it yeah. yeah uh on the note of discipline uh i always ask the same question to every single person that's on this podcast because i think everybody comes with the same mindset but i love your thoughts on this chris how did athletics and sports help you to handle failure and uh, and what maybe even walk through an example of failure in your corporate life sure um the first thing that comes to my mind is in athletics you can't escape failure it's right? inevitable yeah it's inevitable and uh, you know failure right it's a it's a loss of a game it's uh going through a slump whatever it might be you could call it failure maybe it's not failure but you don't succeed the way you wanted to right you don't produce the results that you want. Um, but not only is it inevitable, but you often, certainly in the course of a season, don't have much time to you know, cry in the corner about it because the next game is coming up, right? The next match is coming up. You got to dust yourself off pretty quickly. So I think that's one thing is this, one big lesson is that um, I think people that really struggle, whether it's sports, business, life, people that really struggle, if you really got inside their head, they're probably focusing more on what didn't go right than what could go right next time. And as I like to say, we're, we're focused, um, uh, what you focus on expands. Yep. And so if you feeling that you're surrounded by, or you are nothing but a failure, this company's always failing. You got to really check yourself to say, what am I really, where am I putting my attention and energy? Is it on all the, all the, the problems that are happening? Or am I trying to look at, look at solutions or find solutions, right? So I think that's the one thing is you don't have the op option other than bounce back. So the, uh, the bounce back ability from a failure, I think is one big thing that sports. Which sports, is another, um, another skill I think everybody should be learning and practicing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's no different in business. You mm -hmm. could have a failed product launch. You could have a, um, a failed employee. You could have a failed financial year and you can, you know, fall into a pit and, uh, you know, go into a dark place about it, yeah. or you can really look hard at the lessons. And I think that's the other thing I would say is that, you know, looking back to the past, obviously you can't change a past, but you can look for the lessons. And I think when, you know, in sports, the analogy might be looking back at the film from the yeah. previous competition and analyze what you could have done differently and take that lesson forward. Uh, and the same thing in business, right? You finish the end of a project. Did it go well? Didn't it go well? Didn't matter. Let's do a little postmortem. Let's, let's understand what are the lessons we can take forward in the next one. And Unfortunately, two people are too, too many businesses because of the pace the world is working at. 
and the demands that are happening and the influx of information coming at us, people don't have the discipline. Organizations don't have the discipline Stop. to pause and look back. Mm-hmm. Too busy moving on to the next thing. And, and there's so many valuable lessons that could literally put a company on a different trajectory if they took the time to really evaluate that. And people say, I don't have the time, but if you don't have the time, then you're not gonna have the results. You don't make the time, you're not gonna have the results. So it's almost better to slow down because you can probably, what you're saying is go faster in the future in a better direction versus just speed. The direction that might actually help you find better outcomes and better results. Yeah, exactly. It makes me think of the great, you know, the great statement from, uh, from the military. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. Sometimes you got to slow down in order to speed up. And um, the only way you get that back to what we said earlier, the only way to do that is to get, get out of the weeds and get perspective. Amazing. As, as you are, so let's take a step back after, let's say you were working in London and you were working in the corporate side, you mentioned you had a team of 18 people. When you almost do, uh, like taking you back to your playing days, what were some of the concepts? And I love this, love the answer that I get from this question. What are some of the concepts, Chris, that you actually applied from exactly from the playbook in your football days? Yeah, I, know. I used to have a, I used to have, when I was leading that team, I used to have a, a, a saying, not that I walked around saying it, but it was kind of a yeah. personal mantra, right? Is that I lead a team, but I manage individuals. Mm. And so for me, uh, as the head of the department, it was my job to set the tone for the team, to set the vision for the team, to make sure the team, we had the right players in the right place, so to speak. But if I want to optimize the team, I need to know each individual person, what their skills are, what their gaps are, what support they need. And playing football as a quarterback, you, you can't escape. You're, it's, you, not only you need to know what everyone on the offense is doing, you need to understand what the defense is doing as well. And so I think the discipline, uh, sorry, not the discipline, but the, um, uh, that, that understanding yep. that you've got to know um, the individual talent that you have and not treat everyone with the same, you know, same paintbrush. Right. One of the best books that really, really influenced um, how I be, shaped myself as a manager and a leader was um, book. I'm going way back now, but well, way back. It's all relative, I suppose, uh, to the late, uh, late 1990s, uh, Marcus Buckingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, break, first break all the rules. And the whole point was don't do don't treat everyone equally. Don't don't, you know, try to go for equality. No, make your stars, your stars, shore up your weaknesses, move your talent around to align them and. Uh, some great lessons out of there. And I'm very proud to say that as a, as a manager on my, whatever it was, 15 years of managing teams, very proud to say that I only had uh, one person leave my team to go to a competitor. Wow. And that was because of a salary, a salary change. I had other people leave, but there was light, they're a lifestyle. They want to get out of the industry. They're moving countries and very loyal people follow me because they felt they, they recognized that I really was, I'm curious to understand their strengths and was very adaptable in how I managed the individuals while I was leading the team. And you knew them at an individual level. And I think you, what you said before was, you know, your job is set the vision, set the, uh, the mission, the road, the path. And then almost what you're saying is that you work with individuals on their strengths, on how to best put them in a position to succeed. Just like everybody else's strengths are different. And maybe somebody's motivated by a bonus or maybe somebody else is motivated by something that is not monetary. And I think you're saying your job as a leader is to find that, which is exactly what coaches do in sports. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. And sports is a great one, right? The, and a live game, like a flowing game, like, like um, football would be the best, uh, sorry, uh, hockey would be the best one. Right. Cause that's live action. And the guys are jumping over the boards all the time. Oh, yeah. The coaches, we don't, you know, we often don't really recognize what that coach does, but he's like an air traffic controller, right? You come off, you go on, they got that thrown on. Like that is a, that is a tough job to coach yeah. that. Uh, different sport, uh, other sports, there's a bit, you know, there's more pause in the action and, and whatnot, but great coaches will be great. You know, Bill Belichick considered to be one of the greatest of all time. And one of the things he's great at is uh, adjustments at halftime, mm-hmm. being able to adapt to what are the, is real here, not what the game plan was, but what's real. And as a leader, if you are too stuck in your ways or too patient, uh, like really, really, really overly patient, hoping that things are going to get better and you can see your, your team is struggling, then the, then the team is, yeah. you know, the team is always silently begging to be led. And as a leader, you got to recognize that. That's huge. And I don't think many people realize that people in a company, people that are working for you actually like leadership. They want to, people hate uncertainty. So if you're in a team and a leader, I think all you have to do is step up and take charge. And there are many great leaders that I've seen in the football field. Leaders meaning it can be somebody beside you or somebody who is maybe at a power of authority, maybe somebody who was behind you a couple of years or somebody just came in. It doesn't have to be someone that has been there for long, you know, a lot of time, as long as somebody is able to step up and lead. So I think what I've seen work well in football and in my career is somebody just comes in and just takes charge, especially when a team is struggling. Um, so I guess my question to you there, Chris, is have you ever been in a position, have you seen someone, an example of this, where the team was struggling and nobody was really pulling, but you saw somebody step up and just, you're like, wow, this is what we needed. And it was unexpected. And, and if you've seen that, how can you maybe encourage people to do that? Because sometimes that is all you need for a turning point. Yeah, it's a good question. I think I would, I would expand on what you're saying there. I think there are times where the leader absolutely the leader or a leader someone needs to step up right and make the call call the shot take you know, call the shot just make the decision for everyone else um and there are times where the leader needs to let the team decide what's mm-hmm. the right way for right we're talking we're talking uh, business context well even even sports right uh, and the leader's got to be able to to balance balance that right so it's not a mutiny on the mutiny on the bounty um but um, I'm trying to think of a specific example of where, I, where I've seen that. But I think, you know, I think in sports, you see it in various ways, you know, where the someone speaks up in the locker room and kind of speaks from the heart and says, like, either a rallying cry or calling out their teammates or whatever it might be. And I think it's the same in business, right, um, where uh, I think as a leader, if you – if you recognize your team is struggling and yet no one's really talking about it, I think you're naive if you think they don't recognize that there, that there's a, a void of leadership right there. Absolutely. I think you're naive just because people aren't saying it. If you see they're struggling and you hear the hallway conversations or whatever it may be, the, the little, little t- the tone in the emails is starting to change. If you don't address that early, it's going to come back and bite you. And I think what great leaders do is, you know, they, they see around corners that they can anticipate what's going on. And I think the, the thing I expand on what you said earlier is that sometimes some a leader needs to step up. What people most fundamentally 
need and want out of a leader? And this isn't just my opinion. I've asked this question to hundreds and hundreds of leaders in, in organizations. And yes, a simple question, who's the best leader? That, no, think of the best leader you've ever had, the best boss manager yep. you've ever had, right? And I don't care who it was. I don't care what your dynamic was with them. But the question is, why were they the best leader for you? And what you get is a very consistent answer. And it's not skills or tactics. It's not they were a strategic thinker. They were, you know, they knew technology inside and out. They knew how to project manage forever. No, on some level, it's either um, they were inspiring by their attitude, by their way they approach things, or it's on some level, they demonstrated that they really cared. I felt important to them. It's all about feeling. Yeah, it is. The, the number one thing that people need to perform at their best is they need a manager or a leader that they sense genuinely cares about them as a person and values their input. And it is a crime when leaders don't understand that and just think you're here to do the job. We pay you a check. You should be happy. No, people don't get happy from that. Why? They get happy because they're, they're because I, I always ask this question, Chris, this is, this is actually something that I've been trying to get the answers to. Why is it that so many leaders still fall into this trap? If we know the answer is not this. Because I think, uh, I think two things. One is um, we are not taught in our cultures, in our education system. And it's, getting, it's getting better. There's a door that's open in the last maybe 15 years. But by and large, uh, we're not taught about emotional intelligence and we don't understand what that really, really means. We, maybe we go to a course or a weekend, we get a little certificate, we get a half hour session somewhere, but to truly embody it. Um, I think people um, don't fully appreciate it. I think that's also because, you know, you think about, let me say senior leaders in business today, how old are they? You know, let's say 35 plus. Well, let's back it up. Let's back it up 20 years ago when they were starting their careers, 20, 30 years ago for some people starting their careers. Who did they look up to? They looked up to people who start, who became lead, who are leaders, and they developed their model of leadership in the 80s and 90s. In the 80s and 90s, the leadership model was authority. Mm -hmm. It's like lead. It's like have a vision, make call the shots where people were still minions for the most part, right? So there's a generational transition that's happening in leadership where the role models that have gone before us, the people that we've looked up to have demonstrated that way. And despite any, despite a lot of maybe um, uh, desire to do it differently, we tend to default to what we've seen. Right? It's why we kind of imitate our parents sometimes. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, we don't want to, right? So I think that's a big part of it. And I think the second thing is, again, in the last 10 years, the number one unifying factor across all businesses the experience that everyone is experiencing is the rapid and, and exponential rise in demands that are coming at people. The volume of information, the volume of change, the volume of uh, in these back-to-back -back meetings all the time. Yep. People don't have time to think. People are more stressed out, overwhelmed, and burdened than they've ever been before. And when people are in that place, they don't lead proactively. They're in, they're in survival zone. They're in fear. And so what's the easiest thing to do in a moment is just tell someone what to do. Just to give them your opinion or just to give them a, a curt kind of short answer on something, or just to ignore it. 
because you're so overwhelmed and stressed out. And people can't lead effectively if they're not able to manage their own state, their own mindset, and be able to rise above the crap they got to deal with to be someone that a leader that really demonstrates that they're in, in control and are, 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 are caring about their team. So I think people are way more reactive than they need, need mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. and haven't had good role models. I think those are the two biggest factors. So what is one thing that you would recommend executives today to do to help them overcome this? Um, I think executives need to, uh, first and foremost, be executives of themselves. Mm-hmm. I think they need to develop good habits, good practices to al- enable themselves to be at their best. And that's a combination of some daily disciplines and rituals. It's a combination of taking uh, care of yourself physically, you know, base, back, back to fundamentals, right? Yep. Strip it back. Are you sleeping well? Are you setting yourself up for success? Are you owning the first hour to 90 minutes of your day to set yourself up for success. I often say you, do, you don't see you know, LeBron James rock up to the side of the court with a Starbucks in his hand five minutes before the game starts, right? Professional athletes, the world's best, they're preparing in advance for the day, right? Executives show up with a Starbucks and some donut thinking I'm, I'm going to fuel myself this way and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think clearly for the next 12 hours. Not a chance. No. So you got to take care of yourselves. And, and I think the second thing I would say is you got to get to know what your team really, really needs and to, and to not, you know, actions are louder than words. You've got to demonstrate as a leader, you got to set the tone in your team uh, by being a role model first and foremost. And if you don't know how to do that, you got to get a, a coach, a mentor. Um, you got to get some development of yourself. That's really going to, um, that's really going to make the difference for you and your team. Amazing. Well, one last question, Chris. This is actually for all the student athletes because you also played in the OUA, so did I. What is one piece of advice for all the student athletes that actually missed out a year last year in sports or are now transitioning to the business world? How can they make the most of this difficult time? Um, I guess a couple of things come to mind, just even picking up with the language you used, right? Um, it's, it's a difficult time if you tell yourself it's a difficult time, mm-hmm. right? And every downturn in the world in history, you know, if you in the business world specifically, in the the depressions and the recessions is where some of the greatest companies on earth have been built. So there's tons of opportunity out there. Um, I think the second thing is is um, you know you got to own your own mindset, right? You got to own your you got to work on the mindset of your own confidence. And if you're start, especially if you're starting out, and I think the um, I think the last thing I would say is. You know, and I hear this all the time from my peers who are, who are leading, managing, hiring um, uh, people out of, out of school now is um, you got to be willing to, to do the work. You got to be willing to put in the effort and then get the rewards. Too many people, that's a whole other conversation, but too many people <laughs> are coming into the, into the workforce with a bit of entitlement that, hey, I've done one good thing, so now I should be director of this division. It's just not the way it works. That's not the way it works. I'm really, I am genuinely concerned about many organizations and many businesses and many people entering the community now, uh, entering the workforce now, of how, uh, what kind of a leader are they gonna be in 15 years? Yeah. Because if they're not willing to understand what true leadership is, what it truly takes to be successful and looking for the quick fix, they're gonna be greatly disappointed. So that would be my, my, my words of advice. Awesome. Well said. Well said. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining again. How can everyone listening, watching, find more about your business and get in touch with you? 
yeah, I'd be delighted to, to you know, have a conversation with anybody. You can go to our website, The Ignition Company, or so actually it's, it's theignitionco.com. Uh, or if you Google, probably Google Chris Jansen Coach, that's J-A-N-Z-E-N or Z-E-N if you're in the U.S. Uh, Chris Jansen Coach, you'll find various places to get a hold of me there. Well, awesome. Well, everybody, make sure you Google Chris Jansen Coach. Awesome. Chris, thanks again for jumping on. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, pleasure to be here, Denver, and all the best to you.